0: ...or creation. Uh, You know, our our founding fathers said that all men are created equal. And they based upon that doctrine of human equality, based upon the doctrine of creation, they based upon that all our freedoms and our, our liberties. They believed that we have certain unalienable rights... God-given rights that man cannot take away. Well, evolution totally destroys that basis. And right now we're we're leaving. Our government is no longer a government that considers human rights as God-given. Now they're government-given. They're no longer inalienable. Now human rights are viewed uh, as arbitrary. Whatever the people with the power say, whatever rights we have, whatever rights they decide to give us, those are the rights that we have. Now, that's the same view of government that an Adolf Hitler or a Joseph Stalin had. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we think, well, a Bill Clinton can never get bad as a, a an Adolf Hitler, but the fact of the matter is Adolf Hitler was elected. And, uh, oh, you got this working? Good. Uh, the fact of the matter is Adolf Hitler was elected, and so things can get that bad in America, especially now that we've left the... Uh, biblical foundation uh... for the freedoms that we've enjoyed in this country uh... right now in a school like this on sundays a church can come in and preach that all men are created equal but even though uh... those words were penned by thomas jefferson in the document that declared our independence from great britain uh, the founding document of this nation you can't teach that from monday to friday to the children that come to this school and so this is a very very important doctrine i do not believe that we would be uh... murdering babies before they're born in this country if we still held to the doctrine of creation as a nation uh, so there are the ramifications of accepting evolution um, are many uh, take a look at your handouts there first what i want to do is discuss the biblical data what the Bible teaches uh, about the origin of the universe, the origin uh, of uh, animals, the origin of man. And I just want to show you that it's really not compatible to be a theistic evolutionist. There are many people who believe in evolution, but they believe that God started the process. And we're going to see that that contradicts the Bible. Uh, Take a look at Genesis chapter 1. First, a few verses on the creation of the universe itself. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. And God's Word starts out as follows. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So in the beginning, and it's implied that nothing else exists except God, in the beginning God created out of nothing. Theologians call this ex ex nihilo. uh, God's creating everything out of nothing. Uh, The heavens and the earth, the universe. Take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John... Chapter 1, also the first three verses, it talks about the pre-incarnate Christ and it refers to Him as the Word. Uh, Later on in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh, so we know that it's talking about Jesus. And so it's talking about the pre-incarnate Christ, and it says this in the first three verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning, so again, the same phrase that we find In uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so it talks about uh, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, uh, creating Uh, All uh, that came into existence. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verses 15 to 17. It's talking about Jesus once again. And it says, "...for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible." You know, the the Mormons like to teach that the uh, invisible realm always existed, the spirit realm always existed. Well, the fact of the matter is, Jesus not only created the visible things in the universe, but also the invisible uh, aspects of the universe as well. For by Him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only did he create the universe and give the universe its start, but he maintains uh, and sustains the universe in its existence. He keeps the universe in existence. Uh, and then take a look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. By the way, we're going to be on this chapter uh, in a couple weeks, and uh, we're going to see that faith, the Christian faith is a faith that is founded on the evidence, a faith that is founded on fact. It's not a blind faith. Uh, Keep that in mind as we read this passage. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And so those passages make it very, very clear that the Bible teaches that God created the universe. Uh, take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And that reads, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts... And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And so the Bible teaches that creation was an event that God did. God created the universe in the past, and now he rests from his creation work, so nothing new is being created. Okay? Everything that comes into existence now comes into existence from something else that already uh, exists. Nothing is being created uh, out of nothing any longer. Um, And so God's creation is completed. Look at Genesis 1, verses 24 and 25. This is the creation of the animals. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. They wouldn't evolve into a different kind, okay? After their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. And the cattle after their kind. And everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so you have... God creating the first animals and then they reproduce after their kind. They don't evolve into human beings. The creation of animals. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. I just want to give you the biblical basis to show you that I'm defending what the Bible teaches once we go into the scientific evidence. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39. Paul says this, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. You see, Paul is saying that God has created different types of creatures within certain boundaries so that one doesn't evolve into the other. He created different kinds of flesh. We're going to see... I believe it's next week um, you know the evolutionists like to say that the uh reptiles evolved into birds. We're going to see that they had they have totally reptiles have totally different types of lungs than birds do, so whatever the transitional form in between a reptile and a bird would be, if evolution was true, whatever it was, it would not have fully developed lungs, in other words, whatever creature. Supposedly existed between the two for you know, however many millions of years it was supposed to have existed. It, it would not be able to breathe, and if an animal can't breathe, it dies. And in other words, one of the one of the major gaps in evolution, one of the major bridges that evolution must evolutionists must provide evidence for. It, it's shown that First Corinthians 15:39 is true. All flesh is not the same flesh. All flesh is not uh related in such a way that one type of animal evolves uh into another uh take a look at uh, back in genesis again just a couple more passages from genesis genesis chapter 1 the creation of man genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 God says this, then God said, let us make man in our image. Because, you see, God is more than one person. The Bible teaches that there is only one God, but this one God exists throughout all eternity as three equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So sometimes when God speaks to Himself, He calls Himself us, because they are three persons. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Now there it states that he created them, it tells us how, it gets more specific in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. This is how God created man. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Literally, man became a living soul. Now, it doesn't say there that the Lord God formed man out of animals. It says that He formed them out of the ground and then breathed life into his nostrils. Theistic, Theistic evolution takes the... The first three, in fact, theistic evolution takes the first 11 chapters of Genesis and makes it one big fairy tale. And uh, we're going to see that the evidence uh, does not point, uh, uh, does not uh, favor the evolutionary view, whether it's theistic evolution or atheistic uh, evolution. Then take a look at the uh, creation of woman, verses 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib uh, which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now, there's no way that you can get man and woman evolving from apes when God said he formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed life into his nostrils, took a rib from his side, and then formed a woman. There's no way... That you can put monkeys into this picture and call it biblical. Okay? Uh, you can reject the Bible and reject the God of the Bible and accept evolution, but you're very inconsistent if you try to merge the two. Okay? It's uh, extremely problematic, and again, you would have to turn the first 11 chapters to Genesis, as well as any time Jesus referred to the creation account or referred to Adam and Eve. And in fact, if, if creation. The pure doctrine of creation taught by the Bible, if that goes down the tubes, if you throw that out, throw that in the the trash can, then also the first couple, Adam and Eve, and the fall of mankind is going to go down the tubes as well. And if the fall of mankind goes down the tubes, then so does the need for salvation. And so when, uh, when churches throw creation out the window... Uh, it's usually less within a generation before they throw Jesus out the window, uh, as well. Um, and then take a look at, uh, Genesis 1, verse 31. After God created everything, he said, And God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God created everything, and then He said, It is good. Uh, so the creation was good. But death was caused by the fall. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And that's that reads, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. And so basically death is caused by the fall. Not creation, but because mankind fell. In the garden, disobeyed God, and then death came into the picture. Now, let me state about this last point. You have you have two different kinds of evolutionists. You have the atheistic evolutionist who denies God's existence and believes everything got here by chance and everything evolved on its own. And then you have the theistic evolutionist who says, "No, I believe in evolution, but God used evolution to bring everything about." And we show that that has problems with the biblical text. It waters down and contradicts the Bible and passage after passage. But there's also two different kinds of creationists. I have friends in both camps of the two different kinds of creationists. There's the old earth creationist like you Ross out of California, a godly man, loves the Lord, but he believes that the universe is fifteen to eighteen billion years old and that uh the fossils uh, the, the fossil record, the fossilized dead animals, uh, existed long before man walked the earth. Then you have Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. Dwayne Gish, also out of California. They're young Earth creationists, and they believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, and that the Earth is only 6,000 to 10,000 years old, depending on how many gaps there are in the in the genealogies. Okay. Uh, You, there are good Christians in both camps. I favor the young earth camp, okay? I do entertain the possibility of an old universe, but a young earth. Um, And I I really won't have time to get into that. But what I'm getting at is the fact that if you, Ross, is right, if this is an old earth, uh, if he's right, then you have millions upon millions of dead animals before man ever fell in the garden, before sin. And I I just can't see God looking at His creation and saying, it is good when animals are dying left and right, okay? Um, I believe that Adam and Eve uh, brought death, not only to mankind, but to creation itself, read Romans chapter 8, and to the animal kingdom as well. So, uh, uh, in other words... I don't think you had any fossils until after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Which means the fossil record isn't the history of mankind, as we're going to see next week. It is probably the best evidence that is out there for a worldwide catastrophe known as the Worldwide Flood, the Flood of Noah. Okay? Um, But we'll get to that uh, next week. But since death is caused by the fall, I just can't see... Uh, from a biblical standpoint, uh, how there could be an old earth and uh, but we're going to look at uh, some of those the dating uh, the questions of date the date of the earth and that type of thing uh, uh, as we proceed a little a little later on. Uh, what I want to talk about right now is a brief history of the uh, evolution creation debate brief, brief history of the evolution creation debate. Let me see if I can get this thing to work. Alright, no laughing. It's still wrong. There we go. i got to bring it down. I don't know if everybody can see that or not. It gives you an appreciation... Uh, Of the people who work that thing when you have to work it yourself. But the uh, creation, the the history of the evolution creation debate. Can can everybody see that, by the way? Good. Just say yes and I'll be happy. All right. Uh, The creation model dominated modern science before 1860. In fact, modern science was started by men who believed in God's existence. They weren't all Christians But they were at least theists. They at least believed in a personal God. Most of them, by the way, were Christians, though. Men like Galileo, Isaac Newton, Francis Bacon, Johannes Kepler, and Blaise Pascal were all men who believed in the existence of the personal God of the Bible. Uh, In fact, their belief in God's existence formed the basis for modern science. They believed that a reasonable God created the universe in a reasonable way so that through reason man could find out about the elements of the universe in which he lived. Now, today evolutionists have thrown out this base for modern science and so the question comes out, without a reasonable God, can the universe really make sense? So what these guys, these guys says, look, uh, a reasonable God, a thinking God created the universe in in a... Uh, designed it in such a way that it has order that we could find out about the universe because he created us also in his image so that we are thinking and we can find out about the universe in which we live the atheist today just assumes you know, yeah, we can examine the universe and it's going to make sense we'll figure it out because it's got to make sense in one way or another you know, mathematics, the principles of mathematics if you hate math, you can't become a physicist if you hate math, you can't become a scientist. I mean, because when, as you examine nature, there is so much m- math that is involved because the universe was created in a reasonable way. And so uh, today evolutionists have thrown out this base for modern science, so the question comes up, without a reasonable God, can the universe uh, really make sense? Now, after 1860, the evolution model, begin to uh, dominate modern science. Uh, In 18, it was actually 1859 when Charles Darwin published The Origin of Species, and he proposed a naturalistic explanation for the origin of the universe, the beginning of the universe, the origin of first life, the first living thing, and the origin of new life forms. He gave a naturalistic explanation. In other words rather than a supernatural explanation, rather than than saying, well, God created it, he tried to come up with a way that it could all come about through nature itself uh, on its own uh, without God. So he taught that nature can be explained without appealing uh, to a supernatural origin, and so the evolution model from about 1860 became the dominant view uh, in science. And you will find some of the... Scientists, leading scientists, right around that time period uh, when Charles Darwin came out with his work, they they actually thought it was some of them thought it was comical. Um, And by the way, Charles Darwin did not invent evolution. It's not a product of modern science. All you have to do is read Greek philosophy, uh, read the writings of Greek philosophers about five, six hundred years before Christ. Um, The uh, Thales. Anax, uh, anaximander, Anaximenes, uh, many Greek philosophers, long before modern science ever came about, that was their view. Their view was basically an evolutionary uh, type view. It's, in fact, it's, it's probably safer to say that evolution is an ancient religion that's been thrown into the forefront in modern days, uh, rather than calling it some uh, some solid, you know, based on solid evidence. Now, you might wonder, why did I call creation and evolution a model? Well, I want to try to explain that right now. Um, there's a lot of people that go around referring to uh, evolution as a scientific fact, okay even a lot of people don't even realize it, but uh, C. s. Lewis was a theistic evolutionist. He even referred to in one of his writings, he referred to evolution as a biological fact. Now, I think he was out to lunch, but the fact of the matter is, many evolutionists refer to evolution as a fact, okay? Uh, Let me explain something to you about science. And by the way, there are a lot of scientists, like a paleontologist who just examines rocks, and uh, sometimes all they know is their field and they don't get the wider picture about what science is all about. But the scientific method itself, it begins with observation. What is called the scientific method. You have to observe some kind of process, uh, something that is going on right now. So it starts out with observation, then you propose a question or a problem, you try to answer that problem by coming up with a hypothesis an educated guess then you do some experimentation and after the experimentation you see you test that hypothesis and if it passes the test uh... then you come up with a theory which is a hypothesis with a high degree of probability okay now if that theory is thought to be valid on a universal scale then you have the closest thing you can get to a scientific fact and that is what is called natural law a theory thought to be valid on a universal scale such as the law of gravity uh, the first and second laws of thermodynamics and we'll talk about those a little later uh... but keep in mind you start with the scientific method you start with observation and you end uh... with natural law now this is problematic you're not going to because you're not going to hear about this in your college textbooks by the way you know uh, a lot of the information that i got to refute evolution i got right from uh... college textbooks because if you read real close you'll find there's a lot of hidden assumptions in what they're saying but basically what i'm getting at is evol as speaking scientifically okay Evolution is not a proven fact. That is number one. Nobody has ever observed uh, a monkey evolving into a man. It's not a proven fact. It's not even a scientific law. In fact, you really can't, to, to, to be precise in your terminology, you cannot even call evolution a scientific theory because it's not repeatable. No evolutionist today is claiming uh that you can observe evolution going on today from one species to another okay so it is not repeatable it's not open to observation and testing therefore you can't even start the scientific method you can't even observe it therefore it's referred to as a scientific model that's what it's pro- what it's properly referred to as a scientific model basically it's a way to interpret the evidence but it's not something that they arrive at through the so-called scientific uh method. Now keep in mind the creation uh model is in the same category as evolution scientifically speaking. Uh creation is not a proven scientific fact. It's not a proven scientific law or theory. It also just just like evolution is only a scientific model. Now let me say this, I don't want to confuse people just because you cannot use the scientific method to test something, and you can't use it for either creation or evolution because it, these are things that supposedly occurred in the past, um, just because you can't observe it, and so you can't use the scientific method, doesn't mean that it's no, a non-scientific view. Okay? Uh, for instance, forensic science, crime scene investigation. In fact, let me... Put this out here. Forensic science—it's been in the news a lot lately because of the uh, the uh, O.J. Simpson trials and and that type of thing. Forensic science is crime scene investigation. That if that is not scientific, and all science means is knowledge, if that is not scientific, uh, a good solid uh, way to examine the evidence, then then. uh, we better stop sending guys to the electric chair and sending people to prison because very often there's no witnesses and all the evidence. If there's no witnesses, you, that means nobody observed the crime being committed, scientific methods thrown out the window, what is called scientific methods thrown out the window. And so then you'd need to do crime scene investigation, forensic science. Um, Basically, you're dealing with circumstantial evidence rather than eyewitness testimony, okay? And with both creation and evolution, we don't have a a human witness who witnessed either a single-celled animal evolve uh, all the way up to a human being, nor do we have a human being who was around and witnessed, observed God creating the universe. Now... What I'm getting at is that the founders of modern science broke science down into two categories. The first category was called operation science. Operation science. And the second category was called origin science. Okay? What happened is, as time went on, there was so much focus on operation science that scientists forgot all about origin science. Okay, and uh, but operation science deals with the scientific method. Operation science uh, is is basically uh, uh, the science of the repeatable, science of the present, that which you can observe, the the present processes that are going on right now, and since they're repeatable, you can observe these processes and you can engage in the scientific method. Uh, However, forensic science and the creation-evolution debate do not fit in this category. So they're not operation science. Instead, they're what's under the category was called origin science, which is science of the non-repeatable, science of the singular events of the past. Okay? In other words, if you could use the scientific method, if you could use the scientific method for forensic science, then all you would have to do to prove who murdered uh, the two victims in the O.J. Simpson case, all you would have to do is, is hide out at the murder scene and just wait until the murderer would come back and repeat the murders. Okay? You see, it would be a continuous process. But obviously you can't do that. It's a singular event of the past, and you can't use the scientific method. Uh, however, with origin science, since no uh, direct observation is possible, it deals with these singular, non-repeatable events of the past, um, there are two principles that are used instead of the scientific method. So it is still part of science, although most modern scientists don't recognize that today, um, but it is still part of science. And uh, the, the, the two uh Principles that are used, number one is called uniformity, it's also called analogy. Uh, Uniformity is a good scientific principle, okay? Uniformitarianism is a perversion of the uniformity principle, and we'll talk about that later. The evolutionists have taken it way too far. But the principle of uniformity or analogy basically says that we posit the same kind of causes that we see making certain effects in the present for similar effects in the past. Okay? Uniformity or analogy, this principle says that we posit the same kind of causes that we see making certain effects in the present for similar effects in the past. In other words, when you find a watch, William Paley was a Christian, he said when you find a watch, in the middle of the wilderness, even if you never saw a watch, you would see that it has order and complexity. It was designed for a purpose. Therefore, there must be an intelligent designer. So then, today, when scientists examine a single-celled animal and they see the complexity and the order uh, is far outweighs that of a, of a watch, why should we assume... Uh, that the cause would be a non intelligent cause. So the principle of uniformity or analogy says, hey, if the effects are similar, they probably had similar causes. Okay? And then there's the principle of causality, which says that every effect must have an adequate cause. Every effect must have an adequate cause. So what we have to do to determine whether the creation model is superior or the evolution model is superior we have to use origin science and we have to use the principles of analogy and causality and that's what i'd like to do uh, for the remainder uh... of this message is try to answer the question which model creation or evolution which way to interpret the evidence is more plausible uh... after all you know both the evolutionist and the creationists both recognize there's a similarity in the arm of a man, the wing of a bird, the fin of a shark, okay, the arm of a gorilla. Both recognize a similarity, but they interpret it, interpret the, the same evidence differently. The evolutionist says, well, therefore, common ancestry. We're all related. Uh, the creationist says, no, 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 common designer. And by the way, um, when you look at paintings on a wall, you know, who is it? Who's the guy that, uh, there's one painter I'm I'm getting, I can't remember that. There's some painter that he's famous for painting, paintings that really tell a lot about America throughout the years. Norman Rockwell, there he is. And, uh, you know it gets to the point where once you've seen about 10 or 15 of his paintings you can you could just stumble onto one and know hey that's a Norman Rockwell painting that it doesn't tell you that this painting used to be identical with another painting and then it slowly evolved through natural laws no no there's evidence of common design and that tells us that there had to be a, a, a common designer the same guy who painted this one painted that one uh... as well but, uh, so both interpret the evidence differently, so which model is more plausible? And so what we need to look at are three, the three main areas where the creation model and the evolution model disagree. Three main areas. First is the origin of the universe, the beginning of the universe, or where the universe came from. Second, the origin of first life, that first living cell. And third, the origin of new life forms, more complex life forms. So let's take a look first at the origin of the universe. What I'd like to talk about here is the second law of thermodynamics is... uh, called entropy. It's also referred to as energy deterioration. And it basically tells us that even though the amount of energy in the universe remains constant, that's the first law, of thermodynamics, energy conservation, even though the amount of energy in the universe remains constant, it changes forms. And when the energy changes forms, it becomes less and less usable. What this tells us is that the universe is winding down, uh, the amount of usable energy in the universe is running down, and that eventually all the energy in the universe will be useless, okay? And the universe will reach a, a state of equilibrium where no further change is possible. But, you see, if the universe is winding down, that tells us that it had to be wound up. If the universe is going to have an end, it had to have a beginning, If the amount of usable energy in the universe is winding down, it means if you go back in time far enough, eventually you would reach a point where all the energy in the universe was usable. Okay? And so basically, it tells us that since the universe is going to have an end, if God doesn't intervene, that is, if the universe is going to have an end, then it had to have a beginning. And evolutionists do not like the beginning of the universe. Uh... The first evolutionists were trying to claim the universe was eternal. No beginning and no end. But now the second law of thermodynamics tells us that the universe um, had to have a beginning. Uh, now, the Big Bang model, I'm not so sure the Big Bang model, you know, I, I, I think modern scientists uh, are kind of out in left field on the Big Bang model. At the same time, it is the most popular. View at this point among scientists uh, for the origin of the universe, but let's just uh, let's just give that to the atheist and say, okay, uh, we're going to assume the Big Bang model is correct. Okay, what well, the Big Bang model says that the universe is expanding in all directions as you move forward in time. So that if you move backwards in time, the universe would be getting smaller and smaller until eventually you would reach what scientists refer to as a point of infinite density. Okay? They also refer to it as a point of dimensionless space. Let me say a couple of things. A point of infinite density, if a point is infinitely dense, that means it's small without limit. If something is small without limit, that means it's nothing. Okay? Because you can only be small to a limited degree. To be small without limits is to be non-existent. Okay? And the same with a point in dimensionless space. If a point is in dimension... You know, evolutionists like to use big words, but they don't like to say... Well, we don't want to say the word nothing because it sounds too much like Genesis one." So let's say things like a point point in dimensionless space. If a point doesn't have dimensions, it takes up no space. It is also nothing, okay? So a lot of times we masquerade, we use big words to try to hide people uh, from what we're actually saying there. But uh, whatever the case, the Big Bang model teaches that there had to be a beginning of the universe. Robert Jastrow, one of the world's renowned astrophysicists, he uh, works at NASA... Uh, And he wrote a book, God and the Astronomers. By the way, he's agnostic. He does not believe in God's existence. And this is how he closed out that book, God and the Astronomers, by Robert Jastrow. And he's talking about the Big Bang model. For the scientist who has lived by his faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock He is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Um, Robert Jastrow was not saying something he enjoyed saying. Robert Jastrow was saying, man, we were playing this game and we were doing our thing and we were speculating and professing to be wise and then we got to the highest peak and we found out, like Romans 1 says, we were fools. And that the universe did have a beginning uh, after all. Uh, Hugh Ross, uh, 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 a Christian, uh, a Christian, uh, I believe he also is uh, an astrophysicist, here's a quote from his work, The Creator and the Cosmos. He's talking about Jeffrey Burbage, uh, an evolutionary scientist, and listen to what he says. uh, Ross states this, Astronomers who do not draw theistic, or deistic conclusions are becoming rare. In other words, astronomers who don't believe in God are becoming rare. And he says, And even the few dissenters hint that the tide is against them. Jeffrey Burbage of the University of California at San Diego complains that his fellow astronomers are rushing off to join the First Church of Christ of the Big Bang. Okay? He's basically saying, when. Uh, The evidence for the Big Bang model is just reinforcing the second law of thermodynamics and and its evidence for the beginning of the universe. And if the universe began to exist, since from nothing, nothing comes, something has to exist outside, apart from the universe, that had the ability to bring the universe into existence. And many scientists like Jeffrey Burbage uh, do not like that. And uh, so basically, uh, with the Big Bang model, the expanding, expansion of the universe, if we assume that that is true, but even without it, we could just use the second law of thermodynamics. Modern science has shown that the universe had a beginning, and if the universe had a beginning, therefore the universe needs a cause. That is, And by the way, the universe is nature. Nature is the universe. Okay, the words are interchangeable there. Therefore, if all of nature needs a cause, what kind of cause do you need? You need a supernatural cause, a cause that transcends nature. Now, maybe Joe Schmo down the block don't like that. But if you're going to play this game called science, you got to go where the evidence leads you, and the evidence leads to the fact that the universe had a beginning, it needs a cause, and therefore the creation model is more plausible because it says the universe had a cause. The evolutionary model would be more comfortable if the universe uh, was eternal and had no beginning and no end. So that's the origin of the universe. The creation model is superior on that point. What about the origin of first life? The origin of first life. Okay, for, uh, for evolutionists, they hold to what is called spontaneous generation. The idea that life came from non-life without intelligent intervention. Okay, that life evolved from non-life without any intelligent intervention. However, uh, the creation model teaches that an intelligent being intervened to bridge the gap from non-life to life. Okay? You see, I would not argue that there is no non-living material at all in man, you know, that went into making man what he is today. Because the Bible teaches that God formed man from the dust of the ground, but then God breathed life into his nostrils. Okay? So, basically, the creation model teaches that an intelligent being intervened to bridge the gap from non-life to life. When God created the universe, He formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed life into his nostrils. So in other words, there's intelligent I- intervention. Now, spontaneous generation violates the law of biogenesis and the cell theory. Okay, now, uh, remember the word law? Okay, that the law of biogenesis is on sturdier ground than the evolutionary model, because it's a scientific law. In other words, it can be observed and it can be tested, and it was a theory, an educated guess that 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 answered a lot of questions, it was testable, it passed those tests, and then it got accepted. On a universal scale, we believe it applies on a universal scale, so it's the law of biogenesis. Let me tell you something. If your model, if your scientific model contradicts a solid scientific law, such as the law of biogenesis, or the second law of thermodynamics, or the first law of thermodynamics, if your model contradicts known scientific laws, it's time to get a new model. Okay? Okay. Uh, It's bad science to cling to a model when it flies in the face of scientific laws. Um, By the way, Romans chapter 1 explains why people turn their back on God, uh, or why they become atheists. It's not because the evidence isn't there. They reject the evidence.